along to the gardening show on this uh, very sunny Saturday morning. A little rain aside, Pori, good morning. Good morning, to you. Deirdre. Good morning, You're listeners. Very welcome. You've come into studio with uh, a no shortage of colour. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic this Time morning. Of year, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I suppose with the warmer weather and the bit of rain and everything really is coming into growth right, and a sure lot is. of bloom now. Loads and loads of flower at the moment and loads of, of new growth. Certainly with that rain we've had during the week, um, it has been very welcomed. It has been very light as well, so um, let people not be fooled into thinking that the plants have enough water. I would certainly still advocate, particularly for listeners that put in new hedges or trees or shrubs or bedding or whatever, make sure you continue to water and water the soil, not, not the plants. Um, next week is promised very warm. We're back to that high degrees. I saw 23 degrees. I know yeah. it's, it's hard to know, Like, but towards the end of next week, a couple of days of around about 23 yeah, degrees. We which seem is to be back into high really pressure. Really good uh, temperatures <clears throat> for us. Yeah, so uh, definitely I would recommend for, for listeners, continue to water plants obviously. Um, it's also great planting weather, mm-hmm. so um really good time this weekend in particular with the mixed showers we're going to have to put in some new plants uh, be it bedding plants or doing up your window box or containers or planting trees and shrubs in, in general the, wa- the soil is lovely and warm at the moment and if you water after planting and um, they'll settle in very very quickly the feeding of plants as well that should continue because you're dead right plants are actively growing at the moment you'll see the weeds bursting into growth and many garden plants are producing lots of new growth at this time of year so this is the time we feed there's no point feeding in July and August and September you feed when the plants are actively growing so if you want a bit of colour in your lawn or in your trees or shrubs this is the time to put the the fertiliser on do watch the slug control the slugs are active at the moment again with that cooler weather at night time and particularly sensitive plants that are going out Mm. particularly smaller plants vegetable plants bedding plants in general new herbaceous plants keep an eye on them now because they're actively growing the slugs just love them at this time of year the snails are very active as well so do put down a small small and regular with with um with slug controls. So people tend to put down fistfuls of, of pellets, which is not it's a total waste. So little and often rather than um heaps Okay. Of, yeah, they think they have to surround the whole plant with, with the pellets, but a couple of pellets here and there. Uh, that will do, will it? Yeah, broadcast because the, the, the slugs and snails are attracted. There's bran in the um the old bacon bran is used in the pellet. Ah. And and that attracts they find that very desirable. Right. And they so they actually go towards the, 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 the they they'll ingest the pellet. They do yeah. indeed, yeah. Okay. They eat the pellet. Yeah. They eat the pellet. I, I would probably be guilty of over pelleting them. And, and yeah. people think that they they're nearly creating a physical barrier around them. Yeah, well, yeah. that's exactly. To be honest. <laughs> and that's what I, I see. did wonder was there something in <laughs> no, it that just no. made them go back? But I need to have a full circle. No, no, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. So so that's you're wasting. And Teresa's nodding her head as well. <laughs> guilty. <laughs> so look at that's typically typically people are overprotecting the plant so okay. little and often normally about three to four inches spacing between the slug pellets so very light dusting okay. but on a regular basis that's the key point so do do put down some slug control this is the time of year to do that um, lupins they're just coming into flower I was admiring some actually yesterday I brought you in one of the small dwarf varieties this is the the West Coast series I mentioned these a couple of weeks back on the programme mm-hmm. but lupins when we go to bloom in a couple of weeks time lupins are always the plant that in late May early June they're just coming into flower this time of year they flower right through the June period and uh, we'll be talking lots about them I suppose when I visit bloom but this is the time of year to plant them they're just on the point of flowering you can see this variety this is one called Masterpiece which is a beautiful blue or purple purpley okay, blue yeah, you can just sort of see 
see the, the, the hint Beginning of the colour starting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, really dark, rich colour uh, masterpiece, but it's a dwarf variety, so it's very suited for the west of Ireland. It's short, it's compact, it'll only grow about 18 inches in height, very bushy, but it still has the typical long loop and flower. So the foliage stays very compact and close to the soil, but the spikes of flower are as equally as good as, as the traditional uh, and the, variety. And the foliage on that lupin, to me anyway, looks almost like a tropical leaf. Well, it's, it's very It's, it's, it's quite different to the... It is, yeah. yeah. To, the, to the traditional, which I would Typically, say. The, the common lupin, the Russell hybrids and the common lupins will have that very dark green or, you know, normal green mm. leaf. This is more a bronze tinge to the leaf mm. on, on Masterpiece, which is nice as well. It's a nice colour contrast. So look for those. They're particularly good. They're short. They're the West Coast series and they're, they're very suitable. Again, put them in groups of the same colour just to create that impact. But there are other lovely varieties. Um, there's another really nice one called Persian Slipper, which is a deep blue dwarf variety as well in the lupins. But a, a super time to plant them. Plant them in clusters of three. Remember, they are perennials. So once they go in, they come back year after year. Now, speaking of perennial plants, mm -hmm. things like the phlox and asters and plants like sedum that flower in the autumn, verbena boreensis, which is a great bee plant, they tend to be taller plants. So they tend to grow like rubecki and penstemons. Um, they grow maybe three to four feet in height. Mm -hmm. But one of the one of the questions I often get asked is, you know, how can you keep them maybe shorter and stop them falling apart? So, you know, because they tend to be very vigorous at this time of year, grow tall and slender. And then when they come into flower, they often bend over the flowers. Yeah. And, if it's, and if it's a bit on the breezy side, they're a bit susceptible and things like that. Exactly. So at this time of year, they're generally about a foot in height or maybe eight inches in height. And this is the time of year when you should pinch the tops of these stems back. So you actually remove the growing point. And what that does is reduces the height, it makes the plant bushier, and on that plant then you get a bushier, um, more colourful plant. So it's shorter in stature, mm. but it's fuller, it's, it produces more side stem and more flowers. And you often hear me talking about pinching back sweet peas. It's exa exactly the same principle with many of the herbaceous plants, particularly those that grow, tend to grow tall and kind of can flop over, like asters, like rubecchia, penstemons, flocks, the, the garden flocks, asters, sedums. That's the ice plant. It's got those kind of very succulent leaves. But the plant flowers in August, September, it tends to fall apart. Yeah. with the weight of the flowers and with moisture on it. So if you pinch the, the growing tips of those back at this time of year, you get them short, bushy, far more colour in the plant. You might delay the flowering by five or six days, but the, you end up with a far nicer plant, plant and tends to flower later into the autumn. And you avoid that need for staking them putting canes down right. and, and, and yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's quite a laborious a string. thing yeah, yeah I mean, it's a string yeah. tied around them and all of that so literally all you do is get your garden secateurs or shears and take out the growing points the, the top shoots maybe four to six inches of the very top shoots the plant will reshoot again particularly if you feed it and you'll end up with a far nicer more colourful plant so that's a little tip Great I tip. often forget to mention it I was in a garden actually recently um, where uh, the, the customers was actually planting herbaceous plants and I got them to pinch back <clears throat> it was nearly painful for them well, to be is. pinching I mean, back. You know, nobody really, when, when you see a bit of growth and <laughs> yeah, something, it, yeah. it does kind of go against your own uh, sense of logic. Um, obviously, absolutely. So it's critically important. It. Well, it's it's look, it's a little tip. Do it now, um, particularly for plants. If you're putting in new plants particularly, but also if you've got established plants in the garden, just pinch back the growing points, and that'll make a far nicer plant. This weekend is also the time for planting cucumbers in particular. I don't think I've featured those uh, this year. If you are purchasing cucumber plants, make sure they're all female. So F1 female varieties, because the male flowers tend to make the uh, cucumbers bitter. 
<laughs> I probably never told you we're that before, did I? We're not making it up either, are we? No, no, no. no. We're not. <laughs> so with cucumbers, you look for female varieties, all F1 varieties. Okay. And um, the male flowers, if, if they, if they are right. on the plant, should be removed. <laughs> That's so we could spend a the full make, hour talking uh, about that sure one could. now, Corey, we'll, so, we'll let it go. But excellent tip. So, a little so tip, F1 female. F, F1, ask for female varieties. That's what you want. Um, and so, that, so that's a particularly, uh, this, this time of year. Now, cucumbers shouldn't be planted out of doors just yet. Keep them inside, conservatory, uh, porch, greenhouse, tunnel, that type of thing. Also, when you a tip with cucumbers and plants like courgettes and marrows, uh, don't put water very close to the stem of the plant. It tends to rot them. So water from the bottom if possible, or maybe put a small pipe or small pot at the side of the plant and water at that point. So keep the moisture off the leaves and stems of cucumbers because you, they can rot off so very straight easily. straight into the roots. Correct. And, and until such time as they get really strong. So for the next couple of weeks, keep the water off them. And just in relation to the courgette side of things, yep. and, and I'm not going to dwell on the F1, but yeah. should they be F1 courgettes Ideally, yeah. Well? Again, or, or female... All, all of the same All female genus. varieties, yeah. 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 Okay. It's, obviously, it's the female variety that produces the fruit. Mm-hmm. But if the flowers are pollinated, the fruit tends to be tart. So, okay. and I suppose the idea, when you think about it, if, if the flower is actually fertilised, um, you know, the, the plant doesn't want animals or pests eating the fruit. So it tends to have an... A, a, an a, be a bit bitter to put them off. Correct. Okay, so it's kind of... A, it's self-preservation from it the plant's is. point of view. It is. But from a garden's point of view, and we like to get all cook's female... point of view. Yes, female varieties with the, um, with the cucumbers. Peppers as well. This is the time of year to plant them. Peppers do very well, but again, they need to be grown... Lovely plant to grow on a windowsill um, on a sunny, you know, again, a conservatory, sunroom, sun trap, patio door type thing or a greenhouse tunnel. Chilies as, as well. This is the time to plant those. So the plants of those are generally available from now on they tend to be 5 to 6 inches in height put them into maybe a 10 or 12 inch pot mm-hmm. or put them into the grow bag like I mentioned last week on its edge and uh, you've got lovely peppers and cucumbers again with the kind of showers we won't have the weekend a little bit of lawn care and I noticed a couple of questions in on, on lawns in general but this would be a good weekend to feed the lawn again so if you fed your lawn in March and April got rid of the moss all, did all that job mm-hmm. this t- this time of year um, we, particularly with the moisture levels we'll have over the weekend get on a little bit of straight lawn fertiliser and that'll help to green up the lawn particularly with the, with the heat coming next week so they're the kind of key things Deirdre I also brought you in some unusual well, yeah well, they, yeah, unusual, so, well some, some, some great names I mean, yeah they're very they're very eye-catching but also when you started to tell me the names of them just before it started I was like goodness me uh, who does think of, of these it's <laughs> probably a whole team of people mm. and that's their job so let's talk about well let's talk about this wonderful I couldn't identify it when you came in but that's no surprise to you um, but it's, so this is a this is actually one of my favourite plants I love seeing this wonderful colour isn't it yeah. this is a climbing plant and the botanical name is called Thumbergia, but it's it's commonly known as black-eyed Susan. So it's a climbing plant. The plant I'm looking at now is about two feet high. It'll grow to six feet, maybe seven feet by uh, midsummer, by uh, July. Look at the amount of flower buds. I am looking at, yeah, and they're kind of an orange colour. Sorry, beautiful we, orange. We, we haven't really uh, explained that for people who yeah. are new to the black eyed Susan. Um, it's a very orange, vibrant coloured uh, petals, and then the centre is just. 
black. Black in yeah. colour, isn't it? It's, it's a really dark it's black. Like a, it's like a single punch of black. It's a beautiful plant. I mean, it will literally produce hundreds and hundreds of flowers. So if you've got an arch in the garden or a wall area you want to cover, or say you've got ivy in the garden, you want to just add a splash of colour to it, or anywhere you want a climbing plant, you can see the way it twists around the, the stems. Stem, so whatever yeah. it touches, it'll wrap itself around it. Very similar to... Um, to say uh, the way sweet pea runs runs up or clematis runs yes. up up a wall, so it's called black eyed susan. You're dead with the flowers are that color of orange, the fruit of orange, that really rich orange color yeah. with that black center, like a mandarin almost. Exactly, yeah. um, but really nice plant. This is the time to plant them. They come in other colors as well, in shades of red with the black eye and also in oh, shades right. of white with okay. the black eye. So uh, black-eyed Susan, really nice plant, very, very fast-growing. So it would be one if you want colour, particularly, well, from now on, but certainly from June, July, August. It'll flower up until we get the hard frost in October. And it will literally grow six, seven feet in height. In height. It'll grow maybe three to four feet in diameter. Just something a little bit different th- th- than the traditional climbing plants and great for a splash of colour. And it comes in a whole range of colours and a really good time. If you put them in now, it'll kick into growth straight away. But even now, you can see the amount of flower yeah, buds that are already... Yeah. Coming it's, on it's, the plant. it's just kind of taking off on its own there in the pot. So that's black-eyed Susan. Okay, we also have a clematis. I brought, yeah, well, because again, this is the time of year and clematis were flowering brilliantly for March and April. The Montana Rubens, Montana Alba, all the spring flowering varieties really flowered heavily and there's many of them are still in bloom at the moment. But now we turn our attention to summer flowering varieties, those that will flower from the end of May right through till October into November. Mm-hmm. And again, there's lots of really great varieties available. This is the Boulevard collection and they tend to have very, very big flowers. It's I, I, it's really big. Isn't it's it? like it's as big as your hand. It is. It's the same size as my hand, literally. And they come in a whole range of different colours. So these are the Boulevard Clematis. They start at the end of May or, or mid-May, coming into flower and they flower right through until the end of the summer. They just continually repeat flowering. Again, the plant is about, I suppose, 18 inches, maybe a mm-hmm. foot and a half at the moment. And that plant by <coughs> certainly mid-July will be five, six, maybe seven feet in height. So they're quite vigorous. And again, lovely to mix through climbing roses. Maybe to, uh, you could mix them through ivies mm-hmm. as well to add a little bit of colour through pyracantha. You can even plant them at the base of shrubs and let them grow up and through, the through the shrub. Exactly. And the flowers will come out to the edges. So it'll use any plant for support or a piece of wire, a piece of trellis, plant it at the base of it and up and go. And again, it, it spreads like the black-eyed Susan. It spreads by tendrils. So it gr- grabs, gripples on to anything it touches and, and, and runs up along it. So that's the Boulevard collection. They come in a whole range of different um, varieties. There's a lovely one called Bee's Jubilee, which is a double flowering variety. It has um, two, two-toned, two different colours in the flower, a lovely pink and white. Um, so that's Bee's Jubilee. And are, are, all the, are all the clematis in that Boulevard collection, have they all got those very big showy they flowers? They have. Yeah. They're all very, very large. Most of them, you can see there's lots of flower buds on this one. Most of them have just come into flowers. That's the first flower that's coming yeah, on this stunning. variety. But they all have that really, really um, large bloom. bloom. Very, very showy. Really easy plant to grow. So it'll continue on. If you've got the Montana Rubens in the garden, this would be a great variety to put in with it because it continues. It the extends con- yeah. the, the flowering period. You have the Montana in the spring and you've got this then from early summer right through into autumn. Beautiful. So they're really good. Great time to plant clematis. Again, the, the soil is nice and warm at the moment so they'll do very well. I also brought you in some dahlias and these are the dwarf 
flowering dahlias. Okay. Stunning colour here. Aren't they lovely? It's this deep, deep red uh, kind of uh, almost he- heading into burgundy. It's like it's like a big glass of red wine, wine or something isn't like it? that. Yeah, because the foliage for that, but yeah, and the foliage is dark as well. It's a really dark foliage. It's a very compact variety. It's, these are known as the Aztec dahlias, so they tend to have very large bloom, uh, very short in stature, a bit like the lupin. So very, very compact. Great in pots and containers. Great in an open site and a windy site as well, because they're only going to grow about maybe fifteen inches, eighteen inches in height, but they'll grow to about two feet in diameter mm-hmm. and absolutely covered with flowers. So that again will stay in flower from the end of May right through to the end of summer. Um, The last plant I brought you... Is a wonderful title. (laughs) So this is a plant called... It reminds me of a great movie from a number of years ago. The one, isn't the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a plant called Little Miss Sunshine and it's it's grown for its bright foliage, which is variegated. It's evergreen foliage, so it retains the leaf 12 months of the year. So that bright, variegated green and yellow. It's a very, very bright plant. And then it's got these white flowers with a yellow centre. And again, they flower right through to the end of the summer. Um, so it's a, it's a, they're often called the rock rose. They're in the cistus family. Mm-hmm. But lovely variegated foliage, lots of flower buds again coming on it. So again, a sunny border. If you want a low, colourful shrub, Little Miss Sunshine is a really easy plant to grow. And... Um, you know, nice little name on it as well. Fantastic nice attractive title, plant. Yeah. You can see the flowers. See the you flower? can, yeah, they're, very, they're, they're really delicate. Yeah. No, no, not terribly small, kind of middle of the road size, but uh, there is, um, they're, they're just the actual flower itself then is quite delicate. And I suppose the white and the lovely yellow centre um, yeah, adds it, to that. It will literally flower the whole summer long. So they're the type of plants. Look at there's loads in it. I could Absolutely. Have... Yeah, that's a, a huge <clears> selection of colour, different kinds of colour there. So you've kind of the lovely purple of the clematis. The climbers, the, you know, yeah. the, the, the very bright orange there from the black-eyed Susan and then this incredible red from the dahlia and the lupin as well. Lots of colour and and all of that will will flower for for a very long period. So a great, this time, this weekend in particular, great time to plant all of those. Right, we're going to start with the top and we're going to go with rhubarb first. Um, It's drooping and it's lifeless. Uh, Also, John has strawberries, lettuce and tomatoes in the Pony Tunnel and he's wondering how often does he water them? Well, the watering generally twice a week should be sufficient yeah, and as I mentioned before it's it's about watering the soil rather than the plants themselves so um, you know I'm a big advocate for heavy watering and then leaving the ground to just to, to slightly dry out and then rewatering it again and the reason for that is that you can actually overwater as well at this time of year even in warm weather and you encourage diseases like botrytis um, in around young um, vegetable plants and bedding plants in general so you know some people are watering every night and that's absolutely um, no, there's no need for that and you can actually do damage to plants um, because in, if, if the soil is slightly drying the roots of the plants are trained and forced to mm. seek out the moisture deeper down so it's no harm to water heavily leave for a couple of days and then rewater. so twice a week in the, in the tunnel is, would, would, should be more than enough at this time of year now as we get into midsummer and as the plants are bigger and they're beginning to fruit you could move that up to maybe every second day. So you, it really depends, but but do be careful not to overwater as well, particularly in a tunnel situation. The drooping rhubarb, well, first of all, is the rhubarb in the tunnel, I wonder, he asks, but it, I'm okay, not sure from the question. question. If yeah. it is, really, rhubarb should be outside. It's an outdoor plant. Um, it do, won't do particularly well in a warm tunnel and you'll get that drooping and excessive growth and it tends to fall over. So I would move it out of doors. If you have it out of doors, and I think I said this a couple of times um, the last couple of weeks, is is to keep it very, very well watered because mm-hmm. rhubarb is 90% water and um, 
this is also the time to liquid feed it. Okay, and is it, if that rhubarb is inside, is it okay to move it now or No, you're better to, leave, to, it to leave it to the autumn. Mm. So just continue to water it, um, you know, continue to look after it, dig it up in the autumn and transplant it outside. Okay, now there's no shortage of questions regarding lawns okay. and brown areas right. and uh, things just a little on the shock side in general. Yeah. So. And, and lawns in general, I mean, if you think of it, we had six weeks of exceptionally dry weather. We may have not have had huge temperatures, but the wind chill alone was enough to dry out lawns. And grass only, the, the roots of grass penetrate the soil by about four to six inches. So they're in that top layer, the first layer of soil that begins to dry. And lawns were coming under water stress uh, you know, two mm. weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, so naturally, and you often see that it's atypical when clover starts to come to the fore. So clover becomes lovely and green in the dry weather and the grass starts to get a little bit yellowish, a bit, a little bit lifeless. You're not cutting it as often and so on. So the type of weather we've got this week is far more favourable for the lawns too. And even the farmers were giving out that, the, you know, the, lawn, the grass the is grass. and growing, yeah. but yet we had great drying. So grass has gone under, lawns in general have gone under kind of a, we'll call it a stress period, for four or five weeks. Um, And what what they needed really is the type of weather we've had, cooler temperatures, some moisture to get them going. So hence my point that this weekend would be a very good time to feed lawns because we're we're promised some heavy showers over the next day or so. That'll wash the fertiliser in and... um, They'll, they'll respond to that by greening up and, and start colouring. Now, brown patches is it may be a slightly different thing in that you may have some leather jackets, which there is quite, quite a lot of leather jacket damage this year. Right. Um, so leather jackets are the larvae, the, the crane fly, mm-hmm. the daddy long legs, and they feed on grass and you, it, typically it grows yellowish and then it goes brown and it, the grass dies within that area. You often see the birds will come and pick at the area as well because they, they know the the bugs are there. Um, so if, if you've got that present, there is a treatment called Provado that can be used. It's mixed with water, it's applied onto the area and that will control leather jackets. So it depends what the browning is, is caused by. But if definitely if the grass is dying, it's, it, it is um, very likely to be leather jacket damage at okay. this time of year. So look at I would advise feeding lawns, a straight lawn fertiliser is, is, um, would be ideal. And then three to four days later, you could put on a lawn treatment which will control any broadleaf weeds like daisies. Yeah, because I have one or two questions there about right. daisies. Well, the, the ideal thing is to feed the lawn first, get the, the, the weeds growing as well as the grass growing. And then don't mow the grass for three or four days, allow the weeds to come forward and then put on a proprietary lawn weed treatment like dicoflower or um, Hygieia do one as well Green Force I think it's called um, so look in your in your local garden centre for a specific lawn treatment and that will eliminate a lot of the broadleaf weeds but feed them first, get the grass growing get the weeds growing, then apply the um, weed treatment and that should see and don't trim the lawn for about three days after applying the treatment. You'll notice the weeds, the weeds will be dying if they become contorted, twisted they'll come up into the air vertical and you and twisted stems, and that's a sure sign the treatment is working. And then you can mow the grass. So normally three to four days after applying the treatment, um, you cut the yeah. grass. Uh, and we're just briefly going to stay and I'll try and get all these lawn questions mm-hmm. covered t- together. So specifically, one person put down lawn seed in November last, and it didn't grow. Reapplied it in March, and the same thing. There, so well, it's very really, unusual, yeah, unusual that yeah. the the grass isn't growing. I mean, you know, and we've had a, a quite a mild autumn. Um, you know, it would have been perfect for for sowing. Uh, look, the only thing I'd say is is, is 
re-sow again if you if this is perfect weather for sowing lawns in general you want this kind of heat and moisture to get the seed to germinate it should germinate within a 10 to 14 day period so i would retry i would re-sow it again and if it doesn't germinate this time get the soil tested yes there may be something wrong, wrong. with the, the soil itself but you know it would surprise me greatly that um that you'd have no germination at exactly, all exactly okay exactly uh, and finally Somebody who was a little heavy-handed with the sulphate of iron. Too much put on and the lawn is very black. Wondering, is there anything they can do? Patience, unfortunately. Like, the reason that the iron burns the lawn is that uh, it's caustic by nature. Sulphate of iron, that's the its mode of... Uh, that's the, the way it works. It physically burns the moss. But if you put it on too heavily, it burns the grass and the weeds and everything else that's there. So um, all you can do is trim the lawn, tidy it up and wait for the new grass to start to grow again. That's going to take four or five weeks, really. You could feed it, put on a, some feed, and that'll help the grass yeah. to, to shoot, reshoot again and come and come forward. So you have to be very careful with sulphate of iron. Um, I would generally, if you're putting it on, you're better mixing it with water and putting it on very lightly, um, partic- particularly if, if rain is promised, ideally before rain is promised, um, or else use the zero. Won't you won't get that that um, blackening of the grass and and everything else? Now let's move on to hanging baskets. Um, yes. What tomato type Colour. do you recommend for a large wire basket? Oh, tomato. Something right. easy, please, with sweet tomatoes. Sweet tomatoes. Mm. Well, um, there's a couple that you could you could put into hanging baskets. So if it's a 16 inch basket, you'll put in at least three plants, three tomato plants. I would go for Red Profusion, which is a really nice dwarf variety. It only grows about a foot in height, but it spreads out. Red profusion, as the name suggests, it produces a profusion of fruit, um, mid-sized, a little bit bigger than cherry tomatoes. And um, if you plant them now, they'll come into fruit probably by the end of July, early August, and fruit well into the autumn. The other nice thing about red profusion is that you don't have to take out the side shoots, so there's no maintenance as such, oh, okay. apart from watering and feeding it, and obviously picking the fruit. So it'd be perfect in a hang basket, a 16-inch basket, three plants. But that it put three plants into it. You could put a few flowers as well, just for the fun of it. A few, um, you know, maybe trailing lobelia and some trailing petunias as well into the basket. So you'd have the fruit, of and, the tomatoes, and a little bit of colour, a bit then. of colour as well. Hang it up in a nice sunny area. Water the basket at this time of year once a week would be enough. And then as we move into, as it comes into flower and fruit, every second day, feed it once a week, and you'll have tons of tomatoes. There are other varieties like tumbler which you could use as well. But red profusion is a particularly nice one. Now, uh, we'll go from scratch with the old hanging baskets. Here's a good question. Planting up my hanging baskets, can you explain the steps and how many plants do I need to fill a 16-inch basket? Is there a special compost and feed for baskets? Okay, right. So, so hanging baskets Well, first of all, I would, uh, I'm glad it's a, it's a large basket the listener's putting up because, you know, avoid the small 12, even the 14-inch baskets are just about uh, big enough. You really want a large basket when doing up containers. It makes... You'll fit more colour into it, mm-hmm. but also it makes your life a lot easier in terms of watering it and feeding it and looking after it. So um, stay away from the really tiny baskets. So get a good sized basket. The, the steps are, are very simple. It depends whether it's a wire basket or, or the um, rattan basket, but you'll have to put some sort of liner in. Um, normally, I would put a small piece of plastic into the bottom of the basket as well that comes up slightly on halfway on the sides of the basket. So it acts like a well and holds moisture. So when you go to water your basket, the piece of plastic holds on to a certain level of, of moisture. You can use a, 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 a compost called tub and basket, um, which is specifically for tubs and baskets. Baskets. And it's different because it has swell gel 
and a slow-release fertiliser added to it, so specifically for tubs and baskets. And um, Bordemona do a very good one. So fill the fill the container with that. I also like to add some slow-release fertiliser to that. So we use about an egg cup of um, slow-release feed. And again, you'll get that. It's a granulated feed. You mix it through the compost and that just acts as a reservoir of food for the plants during the summer. Once you've that done, it's really just a matter of pushing in the plants and um, again when you're planting up a 16 inch basket you'll need about 18 plants which seems a lot but the idea of packing in the plants is that you create this competition between the plants and you tend to end up with more flower and less foliage on the plants so Something tall in the centre, like a trailing geranium, trailing fuchsias are good in the in the centre. Um, I mentioned a plant last week or the week before, a plant called Nemesia that I always yes. use in the hanging baskets. Three or four of them in the basket gives a little bit of early colour and they can go just on the second circle, as it were, because they tend to be fairly upright and bushy, but very colourful. And then around that, you have plants like um, trailing the trailing uh, petunias, serfinias, yep. and make sure to pinch those back, like I mentioned with the herbaceous plant. Take out the end shoots, pinch back the shoots before you start to plant, and they'll encourage a bushy plant. And generally, you'll need three trailing petunias put in a triangular shape. Then on the basket, so coming out to the rim of the basket, you'll put the three trailing petunias in a kind of that triangular shape. If that makes it's sense. gone very tactical <clears throat> here. <laughs> it's quite simple. Can we have a diagram? Please? I'll have to make a little you video, will. actually. I'll yes. make a little video and put it up on, on Facebook. Uh, but, uh, to be honest now, I didn't quite get that there was quite such an art to the uh, hanging <laughs> baskets and I appreciate now the questions, Colour. So we're talking about tall in the middle, tall and, we work, in the middle. and we work out where it's We work then. out so that you're coming out to the edge of the basket with the trailing plants. The plants are going to flow over the edges of the, of the basket. Right. So you want a bit of height in the centre. So when you're looking visually into the basket, it's not just flat, that you've got some height. So your your uh, trailing geranium or your upright geranium in Nemesia give that bit of upright structure and bulk in the centre of, of the basket. And then as we come out, you use the trailing plants and you pinch those back to get them to branch and trail down over the edge of the basket. Yeah. So trailing petunias, a great plant. Um, Million Bells, another really good one. Uh, Pipe Bacopa. There's lots. Pop into your local garden centre. They'll show you the trailing plants. And I generally finish the basket then around the very perimeter of the basket, right at the very edge, put in about five or six trailing lobelias right at the very edge of the basket and that's it done. I probably made it sound complicated but you'll hang, do a hanging basket in 10 or 15 minutes. Mm, okay. It's very, very easy, very straightforward, very rewarding as well because it'll literally come into flower in the early part of June and it will go right through until October. You'll be throwing it out in October and it's still in flower. flower. So they're well worth doing but size is important in terms of you're getting more compost and more volume and it's easier to water the container you know, so stay away from the small. You know, they're so they're nearly a waste. Of, more, yeah. you they're might a waste think, oh, of time. I have a to be couple honest. of them, but you know, they, yeah, they might, you're better off. They might one. break your heart a small bit. Exactly. Whereas okay. the bigger containers is far easier to to do. Right. We're going to have one more question, and then we'll go <clears> and take another break. So climbers, and I know we talked a little bit already. Um, we have a listener wondering about a climber uh, for a concrete wall that like red colour and they'd like the foliage to be evergreen. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, well, evergreen, so if you want, well, if you want red colour, the, probably the best plant is one called Cissus striata, which is the evergreen Virginia creeper. It's got dark green leaves in summer, but it goes a lovely bronze or reddish colour in winter as we get into the cold 
period from October through to early April, it goes to, has this lovely kind of plummy red colour. So that's a plant called Cissus striata. It's extremely fast growing. Um, it'll put on five or six feet per year and it'll trail up the wall. It will need some support, a little bit of wire, a little bit, few clips just to give it a bit of support. So that's quite a good plant. If you want to variegated colour, kind of bright colours, you could go for any of the ivies, obviously, Paddy's Pride um, or Gold Child, um, Gold Heart. They're all quite good and they're bright. They self-cling onto the wall, give a nice bit of colour. Now, you can also introduce... Um, you know, two colours. So you can have the likes of Pyracantha, which again retains its leaf in winter. Mm-hmm. It flowers in April. It buries for the autumn. But through that, you can mix some clematis, like the boulevard that I mentioned, and have a bit of, of you know, combination of colours on the wall as well. So Pyracantha is evergreen, flowers and berries, and mix some um, clematis through that, or go for some of the variegated ivies, or go for that Cissus striata. So... Again, there's, there's plenty of choice when it comes to... Another nice plant is um, the Californian lilac, which will be coming into flower very soon. It's um, a Ceanotus, Ceanotus. Um, and again, it makes a lovely walled... It's, a, it's not a climber per se, but it's a walled shrub. So it's flat. When you plant it against the wall, you can train it so it grows nice and flat against the wall. Dark green foliage, nice blue flowers. Um, that's quite a nice plant. So that's Ceanotus or, or Californian lilac, which is a... Evergreen. Evergreen. And we tick the box as well. Okay. It depends on the height of the wall, of course. If it's a big, if it's a big house wall, maybe something more something vigorous, like, that, yeah. like the Cissus or, or some of the more vigorous ivies. Um, and if it's a low wall, low then wall, you, you have a few other The C&O would be quite nice, yeah. Okay, lovely. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll go with the Peony Roses question yeah, because it's not? in front of me before I go scrolling <laughs> back. They're lovely this year. They are. Well, they are, but this person, unfortunately, is disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're wondering, Porek, why their Peony Roses haven't flowered this, uh, uh, last year or this year. There were two new plants, a uh, new variety. One plant flowered in 2015. So there has been some success, but were paused. Okay, well, they, first of all, to say with peony roses, that when you plant them, they can take several years to flower. They may produce a flower, particularly when you buy them in the, in the um, garden centres. They may often be in, be in flower because they're in a tight little pot and they're confined and they're forced into flower. When you plant that plant, that peony rose, out into your garden, because it has the freedom of the soil, it actually puts on lots of new growth and it forgets about flowering for three, four, five years. So if the plant is growing healthy, it's coming up, it's nearly doubling in size each year, that's all good. It will settle down to flowering. So... Um, Peony roses, there are plants like plum trees, certain plants that take several years to come into flower. And peony roses are in that category. So they, particularly if they're in good soil and they're enjoying the growing conditions and they're growing really well, there is absolutely no reason for them to flower. The plant is putting on bulk. It's, ad, you know, it's getting bigger mm. and, and, and bushier and, and it will settle to flowering. Now, you can help that by putting on the likes of sulfur of potash or a rose feed, something high in potash, because potash has the ability to slow plants down and it nearly induces them into flowering. So if the plant is growing well, then don't worry about it. That peony rose will settle into flowering. Or it often happens if you dig up a peony rose and split it and move it somewhere else, mm. you unsettle it, it, te- it kicks in back into growth, it stops flowering for a couple of years, grows and will settle down. So don't worry about it that plant, if it's growing well, will come back in flowering again. I would put some potash on it. It's not going to flower this year anyway because they're in bloom at the moment, but you, you'll slow down the growth and you'll help to induce it to flower next year or the year after. And I suppose what it probably is telling the listener is that 
it's obviously quite happy where yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's now we're presuming settled. that it's 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 thriving yeah. and it's growing well. That's but lots of greenery on yeah, it. Yeah, and that's that's generally what happens with peony roses. You often buy them in the garden centre. There's a lovely flower on them because they're literally in a tight little pot and it's got nowhere to go. You plant it in the garden and it doesn't flower then for maybe three or four years, and you're wondering why. But it's growing really happy, so you think it should be flowering. Yeah. But of course, it's the plant. So you know, some plants take longer than others. And yes, they roses do. Are, and, and they, la- they live for a very long time. They live forever. Yeah. So do, remember we had a, a couple of years back, we had somebody with... 40 or 50, 50 years. Huge, yeah, yeah. yeah and but the, a huge amount of flowers. Yes. There was tons and tons of flowers on the plant. And that's typically with peony roses. They need a little bit of patience. You can put something like a rose feed or, or sulfur potash on its own and that will help to slow down the growth and bring it into flowering, hopefully next year, but maybe the year after. Okay. Now... Uh, we love listening to your show every Saturday. Thank you very much. We have a large lawn, but want to plant wildflowers to attract the bees. Okay. So I'm just wondering what large to plant lawn. and how, and does it grow back every year? Yeah, well, well, what you what you end up buying is is a mixture of um, wild meadow seed. So it's a mixture of flowering plants like poppies, like cornflower, um, whole load of different flowers that attract the butterflies and the bees into the garden. Um, and mi- mixed with that tends to be some. Um, grass seed as well, so for that, for the, ideally the, the kind of conditions that wildflower meadows need is actually impoverished soil. They dislike very uh, rich soils. The, the flowers tend to die out, so they actually like a slightly impoverished soil. So first of all, ideally the soil should be um, free draining, but it should also be um, not too rich. Okay. Right now, what you can do is um, kill off the existing lawn, put down till it over. Put down some lime into the soil, so high lime levels, and then sow. You can get yourself a bag of wildflower seed uh, to put over the entire area. And that will germinate over the summer period. Some of those flowers will come into flower this year. Many will germinate and come into flower the following summer. So it takes kind of two seasons for them to bloom. And then what happens every year, you allow the plants to grow, you allow them to produce seed. That seed falls on the ground You cut it back with a strimmer in late September, October. The seed is already cast and it germinates and starts the whole cycle again. So So it's like a a traditional... So it reseeds itself. It reseeds itself. Like we used the way farmers made hay years and years ago, it was cut in, in late summer, early autumn. The seed of the flowers fell on the ground and they germinate again. And then what you can do in the autumn is plant a lot of spring flowering bulbs like snowdrops, crocuses and um, uh, aranthus. And there's a whole range of dog toots, violets, the whole range of bulbs you can plant in the autumn in the wildflower meadow that will come into flower then in January, February, March. So you have the colour in the spring and then you've got the summer meadow in in the summer period. Great. So spring and summer colour. But now would be a good time actually to sow a wildflower meadow. Now we have a plum tree that has appeared to have leaves curled. It's eight years old. It's never produced uh, fruit until this year. Now they have uh, some fruit coming uh, with a few marks. They're wondering, should they uh, feed it with potash or what, what, well, again, like our peony rose, mm. I mean, plums can again take up to seven, normally seven years, six, seven years to, to come into fruit. So this one is eight years old. So it's settled down. It probably has grown really well in the last eight years. Um, and now it's settled down. It's matured. It's got out of the teenage years. And it's it's at the stage when it's coming into flower and it's going to produce fruit on a regular basis. Um, the, the curling of the leaves can be caused by aphid attack, by green fly attack, which is very common at the moment. So you, And they'll be very visible on the plant itself mm-hmm. and you can just put on a bit of PY spray and that'll control that. Um, 
but it also can suffer from a disease as well. There's a, a virus on uh, plum trees, silverleaf virus, which can occur yellowing of the leaves, twisting of the of the stem. So if the listener wants to maybe bring a piece of that plant into the garden centre and we'll just identify why it's curling, why the leaves are curling. But going back to the fruiting, eight years old, it's beginning to fruit now. That's perfectly normal. Next year, it should produce a lot of right. fruit. And again, what I would do with the... the um, Plum trees put on some of the sulphur of potash now because that again will help to help it to bloom next summer. So however well it grows this this summer, you I mean you look at the white thorns this year covered in flower. That's because a we've got good weather in the last couple of weeks, but also the plants grew particularly well last summer and autumn. We had a great growing period, uh, you know, summer and autumn of last year. So it produced the flower buds for this year. That's why we're getting the colour this year. It's not necessarily because we've had fantastic weather. The flower buds are actually formed on white thorn. Last, by by October, November, the buds are actually on the plant ready to come forward. Okay, so we're Um, we're really reaping the benefit of last year. Yeah, so feed, so I would put on a bit of sulphur potash on the um, plum tree. Don't give it traditional 10, 10, 20 and traditional fertiliser because you're just going to encourage too much growth on the plant. So a little bit of sulphur polish, that's all it's going to need and bringing us in a piece of the plum stem just to see why it's the leaves are curling. Now, um, is there a special cover for carrots to stop the carrot fly? There is. There's a, a netting, a very fine netting that you can put over carrots to stop. So the, the fly, the carrot root fly, is um, a small midge-like fl- fly that, that flies at this time of year and seeks out the carrot plant. So when you're thinning your carrots, that you excrete the scent and, and the fly comes in on that. And they tell me that he flies, or she flies, at four feet between one and four feet. <laughs> and nothing higher. <laughs> but anyway, what you can do is you can literally cover the crop with a very fine netting that is a physical barrier to keep the pest from getting to the actual plants because the fly has to land on the plants, lay their eggs, they hatch out and that's how you get the carrot root fly attacking the root itself. So it's the larvae of the carrot root fly. Um, So if you can physically stop the fly landing on the plant, then you don't have carrot root fly. Simple as that. So you can get a special netting to put over. Um, now you need to move that as the plants are growing. You need to lift it up off the plants, and but you're nearly creating a kind of a tent or a physical barrier to stop the fly getting in. Okay, interesting. Mm. Uh, I have a hedge of grisolinia which was badly killed back in 2010, but has regrown from the ground. It's a bit yellow, but still very much alive and kicking. Great, great. Good for That's you. What, seven years how on, can yeah. yeah? How can I encourage more new growth? Asks John. Well, you can you can just simply feed it, um, feed the the plant. Now, again, I mentioned this at the top of the program. Great weather for feeding in general and hedges. If you want to give them a bit of a boost, put on the Osmo Pro Six. You can get better weather for it. Keep it trimmed, you know, on a regular basis, possibly twice a year. Um, feeding and trimming will just bring it back into it, its former glory. So, get on the Osmo Pro Six now. Can I put out my geraniums now? It's still a little early. I mean, you're, you're taking a risk. If we get a night's frost, they're going to be damaged. Or if we get a bit of cold weather. So I, I told them another week or so. I hold them to the June weekend anyway. And bedding plants in general. You're, the hardier varieties like anthraniums and pansies and violas and all those, yeah, plant them outdoors. Any of the soft, hardy varieties like marigolds, salvia, you're taking a bit of a risk putting them out just yet. I'd, I'd hold them for another week if you can. 
Okay, I've set a new shrub area covered in plastic and stone, but weeds are coming up. Also, my Montana clematis is a very has very few flowers this year. Says Pauline. Well, with with the Montana Pauline, remember that it grow it flowers on the previous season's wood. So th- this is the time of year for trimming back Montana rubens if you have it in your garden. So don't leave it for four weeks. Trim it now, just as the flowers are beginning to fade off the plant. Because what because whatever growth it makes this summer, that's where it's going to flower next spring that makes sense. So how well it grows from now, from mid-May through to September determines how well it flowers next spring. So trim it back, tidy it up now, feed it with a rose feed, feed it again in about four weeks' time and then leave it alone and it'll be covered in bloom next spring. Cherry blossoms, when do we prune them back? You can do it now. Okay. Any spring flowering shrub, and the Montana is a good example, or cherries in general, or forsythii, anything that has gone out of flower, this is the time to prune them. You could have pruned them a couple of weeks back um, when the flowers were fading, but now is the time. Don't leave it until midsummer or autumn. Prune the spring flowering plants by now, and when we prune, we feed at the same time. Okay, very quickly, we're going to stay with hedging for a moment. Um, so we have a, quite a brown-looking um, red robin. Okay. Uh, we're wondering, can, should we trim back laurels a little bit now? You could. You could do a light bit of trimming on them now. Just literally taking three or four inches off the top. That'll shape them up, but it'll also help to, to thicken the hedge out rather than taking feet off them later on in the in, in late summer. So a light trimming back on, on hedges in general is highly advisable and give them a feed as well. And with the Fortinia, I do exactly the same thing. That'll respond to trimming back. So give it a trim back now, feed it, and it'll come back into growth and have a fantastic colour. I think you would a forest flame there as I well. Just, and how do you prune <clears throat> a forest flame? Same Sorry. thing, yeah. same thing. This is the time of year for pruning forest flames back. So again, trim back the maybe five, six, eight inches of growth on the forest flame. Give it a feed. It'll actually come back into growth again and you might even get some of that lovely red colour that we had in March and early April reappearing. So in general, those kind of spring flowering plants is a good time to trim them back and feed them in general. What food should I put on sunflowers? Well, first of all, keep the sunflowers indoors for another couple of weeks. Um, don't put them out for another, you know, till about the second week of June. And use a liquid feed. I would use the Osmo Universal Feed. It's a, a fantastic fertiliser for flowering plants in general. And, and sunflowers will really benefit from it. About once a fortnight. And then as we go into midsummer, once a week. Right. What do you do with daffodils and tulips mm. that are withered? Do you cut them right down now? <clears throat> yeah, you can trim them back now and tidy them up um, or else move them into another location. So you can dig them up and transplant them. I think we, we had that last yeah, week we did, as well. We did, yeah. So yeah, you can move them. Uh, is them there up. anything else that can be used instead of slug pellets as I found the hedgehogs uh, eating them last week? Well, you can use your he- hedgehogs. Hey, I presume they found the hedgehog eating, eating the slug. slugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, the, and hedgehogs are brilliant for hoovering up snails and slugs. So if you've got them in your garden, you shouldn't need slug pellets, so don't bother putting anything down. Having said that, if you use the organic... There's one made from Neerdorf. It's a pellet. It's blue, exactly the same colour, mm-hmm. but it's actually an organic one. It's very safe for birds and for animals and pets and whatever. Um, that can be used as well. So Neerdorf make one, again, sprinkle it on the same as you'd use the traditional pellet, and it's very effective and very safe for wildlife as well. But your hedgehog should do you lots of favours mm-hmm. there. He'll, he'll okay. keep them hoovered up. We're, we're out of time. I just <clears> want to see one comment that came in. On the subject of peony roses, I got part of a plant that was in my grandmother's house since the early 1900s and it's flowering away. There you go. And that's how long they live. Story. You know, they're a brilliant plant. We have to leave it there, I'm afraid, Porrick. Okay, time has caught up with us. Uh, lots of options and colour and just get out into the garden and Absolutely. get busy, busy, busy. And you can visit our website, hawkins.ie. There's lots of information of things you can do right through the end of, of May. So there's lots of hints and tips there as well. Thanks very much. We're back again. 
again next Saturday. Anyway, uh, gardening just after nine, but I'll be back after seven. Thanks indeed for your company this morning. Do stand by Michael Neary on the way with Country Classics. Thanks to Teresa for all her help as well. News on the way after these.